Hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of B-Roll, the sci-fi movie podcast where we break down and review, I guess, straight-to-stream or independent sci-fi and fantasy films. I'll be one of your hosts, Anthony. I'm your other host, Chris. Hi, other host, Chris. <laughs> what, uh, what movie did we watch today? Well, you watched Spectral today. I watched Spectral last night. What movie did we watch for today's podcast? <laughs> uh, we're watching a, we watched Spectral, Spectral. which is a, a, a 2016, late 2016, December 9th, American military science fiction action film. Are you reading the description off Wikipedia right now? Just the first sentence. <laughs> <laughs> this one went straight to Netflix. It almost didn't. It originally was not. Oh, really? I was intrigued by a few things in this movie. For for one, that has the highest production value of any movie we've seen so far. $70 million. <laughs> not exactly independent. <laughs> Our bad. That's why the straight to stream option is in there as well. Yeah, $70 million. So it was originally, it's Lionsgate, which is obviously not independent. Mm-hmm. It was originally going to be released on th- in theaters through Universal. Universal dropped it for whatever reason. Netflix said, I'll take that. And here we go. Legendary pictures. Who did I say? The other one that starts with L. Lionsgate. Lionsgate. Lion- well, it's because yeah. I, w- I mean, if it would have been Lionsgate, it would have been <laughs> oof, even better. We can uh, get some more stuff off the wiki. I like this one. I read this one last night. Described as a supernatural Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that description? I think it was pretty close. I think it nailed it. I yeah. liked it. Look, cut that part out. We can't say that I liked it just yet. If you know anything by now, it's that if you tell me to cut something, I just leave it. <laughs> this movie was uh, it was pretty good. Our main dude, I didn't recognize our our main guy, James Badge Dale. Man, Badge. Solid middle name, yeah. Not in 2020. <laughs> oh, oh, that I might cut. Jeez. <laughs> uh, he played Chase Edmonds in 24. I never watched 24. Me neither. And he was Robert Lykle in The Pacific which I didn't see that one. It's a World War II, I think. He played a character in Iron Man, Iron Man 3. I don't remember who he was in Iron Man 3. He played Cold Blood. I don't know if they actually called him that in that that, uh, movie. Eric Seven. Okay, cool. Yeah. Rad. I didn't recognize him at all, but he has a very long list of credits. Hmm. Um, Cool. He's definitely a workhorse. Did you recognize anybody from, from the movie? I caught Bruce Greenwood. Oh, okay. I thought I said Campbell was in there. But oh uh, uh, yeah, Bruce Green- Greenwood, the other Bruce. Famously Captain Pike in the uh, the new Star Trek movies. Yeah, the Kelvin Star Trek movies. The Kelvin-verse, yes, thank you. The Kelvin timeline, whatever they call it. But he also was Batman in a lot of DC animated films. Yeah, yeah. Curiously enough, he played the President of the United States in the second Kingsman movie. He oh. also played the President of the United States in the second National Treasure movie. Which really opens up a whole Pandora's box of what could be it's some weird Nicolas Cage fueled Kingsman crossover. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I'm so happy right now. Oh man. All right. I've never seen National Treasure Two or The Kingsman Two. But oh. You've recommended them. They're both so. worth watching. They're good. They're they're solid sequels. Neither of them are as good as the first. No, I didn't recognize the. Uh, Anyone else from this movie, for the most part? The only other person I recognized was, uh, I don't even know the character's name, but Riggs from TV's Lethal Weapon <laughs> played, yeah, Sergeant Toll 
He was the sergeant with the beard and the kind of the scar over one eye who was a little vocal with yes. our main character. Yeah, he plays Riggs in the uh, the TV adaptation of Lethal Weapon. Hmm. Yeah. He's no longer on the show. <laughs> no, he got he got fired for starting fights, if I recall. Uh-huh. I will I will fact check that. <laughs> well, we've we've talked a lot about the cast. We have Let's talk about the movie. Yeah. On an effects level. Oh. I thought it did a really good job. Yeah. I think the Aratare, they nailed that idea of what this is in the movie. Uh, I didn't think it looked cheesy. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Solid. Weta or Weta? I don't know how you pronounce it. Worked on it. Who? So Peter Jackson's special effects company. Oh, W-E-T-A. Okay. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. All right. I thought the weaponry was kind of cool. The plasma discharge weapons. Because they can't call them lasers. Hmm. The goggles were neat. A little bit of a Ghostbusters vibe. A little bit. If Ghostbusters was serious. <laughs> I mean, well, Ghostbusters, is, it is serious business, but. Oh, it's always serious. They gotta, who else is going to bust those ghosts, man? Who else are you going to call? <laughs> the sets were good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone but Chris. <laughs> I thought the location was great. Oh, interesting. So they're in. What country are they in? Moldova. Moldova. But then they do big, big shots of the city and it's clearly Budapest. Oh, it was? Oh, okay. It yeah. So a little bit of a, I don't know. I'm a minor gaffe? I, I don't, a medium gaffe. I don't know. <laughs> if you're in Hungary watching the movie, it's probably a pretty big deal. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe they went, maybe they approached Hungary and they were like, hey, we want to shoot this movie in your city, but we also want it to take place in Budapest. Then. Hungary's like, well, we're not a war-torn... Right, right. But with <laughs> well, all the I mean, good maybe, CGI, you could have easily done something to make it look fictional or just not Budapest. Maybe Budapest was just like, no, we don't want to... Yeah, you can film here, but you can't call it Budapest. So they picked Moldova. Do you think that these countries, we use them as kind of a backdrop for war-torn refugees and a regime that's being overthrown and has become an insurgency and blah, 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 which is the, the backdrop for this film and many, many others. What goes through their heads? They, they you know, I'm, I'm Moldovian or, or whatever you'd call it. How does it feel to be the bad guy? Not even just the bad guys. Well, because I guess they're good and bad, but I mean, to see your country like that. And I guess we see that with America, but very differently, right? Sure. When America's on the last ropes, we're the scrappy underdogs and blah, blah, blah. But in this case, this is, we're definitely not. That was a very long question. I'm sorry. No, I kind of get it. I totally agree with the uh, the 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 idea behind it. I mean, it is probably weird because these are movies that are aimed at American audiences, right? Sure. Everyone likes the Marvel movies, right? Everyone likes Star Wars, but if you're making a U.S. military movie, you're aiming it at our history. Sure. But but I mean, they could have easily. I mean, you brought up Marvel, but when they destroyed a country, it was a fake country. Yes. I Which agree. I guess that's it's easier to do a fake thing when you get superheroes and space alien yep. gods running around. So that's a, maybe so. a bad example. To be fair, Moldova is a country that is a paramilitary republic or parliament. It's a parliamentary para, republic. Yeah, I messed I, I messed that completely up. I, you, for a second, I was like, "Man, they are sure, sure." They're a small country. They are boarded, bordered, boarded, <laughs> bordered by Romania and the Ukraine. Is landlocked. So Kinda, yeah, mostly landlocked there. They're a tiny little boot. If you're looking at a map of Moldova, 
There's Italy's big boot, and then there's Moldova's little boot. That's a real thing. You should look. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. They're like little, <laughs> they're little high heel boots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the reason why they picked this country, or they, they sure. picked this backdrop to tell this story, because these, it's just it's aimed at an American audience. We can relate because we know all about the Cold War from our side of the story. Sure. Sure. But I mean, if they had never said the name of the country, would that have ruined some of the immersion? I mean, in the backdrop. Out of care, just out of curiosity. I don't think it would have made it that big of a difference. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think it would have been just as easy to not say where it is and alienate a region. But I mean, I guess maybe they're like you, you described them just now. Maybe they're not worried about alienating them. It's also from the perspective of yeah, but this is a science fiction movie, so you shouldn't <laughs> think that things that happen in a science fiction movie are kind of the things that happen in Moldova. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And maybe they got paid a lot of money for their name to be used. So, you know, who cares? Doubt it, but okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we could, do you want to do the plot or do you have anything else you want to add? No, I think in general, I think I, I agree. So uh, Spectral starts out kind of a interesting shot of underneath a uh, highway. There's an overpass where there's some explosions going around. And so you're like, okay, so there's fighting. We catch one guy walking around. Is this, I know it's not how like Arnold Schwarzenegger would sneak around a compound in commando, <laughs> but does, is this what it looks actually looks like when they're moving around in an active combat zone? Is that? Well, how would I know? I don't know. I have I no mean, idea. I've played probably <laughs> slightly more Call of Duty than you. What was the last one you played? Oh, jeez. I don't know, actually. I played Warzone. No, oh, I haven't fun. played any we of that, play. no. We should play Warzone. I don't have 100 gigs to spare. Fair enough. <laughs> Anyways, he's asking for backup. He's behind enemy lines. He's been separated from his unit. They're like, all right, man, we got like eight minutes. So backup shows up and he's like, I don't got time for backup. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, essentially what he does is he d- disobeys a direct order from his commanding officer. Well, no, control is not command. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. I've played enough Gears of War to know the difference between control and command. <laughs> His name was Davis, Sergeant Davis. He's got these wicked looking goggles. I actually wrote down here, do they have a setting for red to find swords? Uh, Question mark. No. <laughs> he finds some dead people. They're obviously dead because he checks one. Po- he checks a pulse and the person's not alive. Yeah, but yeah. They look like something's happened to them. Like they haven't been shot. They haven't been stabbed. There's no blood. Yeah. You'd think maybe a chemical attack of some sort. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't know anything about the movie. He goes into a room and there's movement on his visor and he lifts his visor up and there's nothing. And he lowers his visor and he, he sees it again. And then it eventually turns around and charges at him, passes through him. And he ends up looking like the other dead bodies that he found. Yeah, this is when we find out that he didn't put the chin strap on his helmet. <laughs> Fair enough. I didn't catch that. Well, I mean, his helmet flies off, which, I mean... Fair enough. Uh, I thought maybe it hit him so hard it knocked his helmet off. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it broke his chin strap. I mean, it's for dramatic effects, and then they use it later on, but first thing I wrote down about the movie was his <laughs> chin strap. That's there for a reason. We get a scene change. Yeah. We end up in... That's the um, noise it makes. <laughs> we see a guy. Uh, he's our main character. I don't remember his name. The guy you were talking about earlier. Klein. Yes. Dr. Well, we don't Klein. Know his name is, we don't know his name is Klein yet. You're right. But You're right. I'm sorry. No, it's unknown. Fine. It's was... mysterious. Ooh, what is his name? <laughs> Anyways, he's looking around, looking at what appears to be junk. He finds some kind of mechanical or electric, electri- like a, a piece of electronics. He opens it up and he pulls what appears to be a capacitor or a battery 
off the board, and then he says, gotcha. Then he arrives at a building with a sign that says building in front of it. Did you notice this? Yeah, giant <laughs> giant letters. I thought it was like a university building. of some kind, because that's the only type of campus I've ever been to that are buildings that are labeled like that. He gets into some, it appears to be a science-based facility. There's labs. He walks up and like is buzzed in by a guy named Ephraim, and he's like, you know, what have you been out doing? He's like, oh, I was looking for tetracine. And they're apparently working on a prototype plasma discharge device. They put a block of ice, like on a testing thing, and they shoot at it, and it melts. We find out later, and by later, I mean now, this was a request by SEAL Team 6. They essentially want the ability to vaporize an enemy's water supply. Yeah. Which is, I think, the plot of at least one Bond movie. Isn't that what they do in Batman Begins? They have the machine that vaporizes all the water. Yes, that too. Yeah, it might be. a. That sounds like a Bond thing. Sure. He describes it as just rapidly heating it from the inside. It's cool looking. Yeah, the higher ups, they want to test it on living things. And he's like, well, hold on. I didn't sign up for this. And then we get a, a talk between him and I guess his boss, who's like, you know, you work for DARPA, which is there. I guess they're uh, an intelligence agency for weapons development, right? For testing? Well, no, they, they develop weapons, defense technology. Ah, uh, Defense specific. Advanced Research Projects. Yeah, okay. typically yeah. for Special Operations Command, things like that. Yeah, because, I mean, they just say that they were working with SEAL Team 6, which mm-hmm. is the famous SEAL Team. Yeah, name dropped. I mean, this is a big moral dilemma. I mean, we just talked about Iron Man, but uh, the idea that you de- you're developing this technology that just gets used for weapons to cause more war, you right. know? Yeah. That's the overall theme of this movie, I think. More or less, yeah. If you were a scientist, would you have access to the most advanced research facilities, but in exchange you have to develop weapons that, that kill people? Like, it's a dilemma. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. we immediately move on from this moral quandary. He is being sent into the field. As it turns out, the goggles that he designed for Delta Force, there's been a malfunction. and They can't figure out what's wrong with it. They're saying, we're sending you in to Moldova. This is when he meets Bruce, General Orland. Which I wish they had just gone ahead and called him General Orlando. I mean, they're right there. Couldn't give him another one? Like, mm. Okay. I don't know. I just, I didn't like the name. Sorry. Sorry, Bruce. Sorry for everyone out there with the last name Orland. <laughs> just another, oh, anyways. Apparently the U.S. decided to get involved in another change of state. Yet another. I wrote sigh in big letters here. And I bolted them. Apparently there was a regime change. I guess an old dictator was removed from power. The military forces that are still loyal to him won't give up. Now they're called insurgents. We're going to go to a pair of goggles. He's like, you're going to check this out. They do this in a lot of movies where as you get deeper and deeper towards top secrecy, one of the ways that they show you that is by there being less people in the rooms during the conversations. So they arrive on a military base, they get to some kind of facility, and then they go deep into that facility, and then they arrive at a I guess this is like the quartermaster, but yeah. for top secret stuff. Like the armory, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they're issued their goggles every time they go out. Yeah. Like just like the rest of their equipment. And then he signs a piece of paper and then kicks out the tech sergeant. He's like, please leave the room. And the tech sergeant's like, yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Tells him to leave the room, close the door on his way out, something like that. Yeah. He's like, I need answers, nothing else. We uh, catch a, I guess what they see when they see these goggles are looking through. There are people exiting a vehicle and he says, hold on. Did you see that? They see... I wrote down here that it was ethereal. Yeah, that's a good description. Or spectral. (laughs) In nature. Nailed it. Oh, nailed it. 
This is where we find out that this is Delta Force. We get a CIA agent. Are these spooks? Is that what they call these? I think spooks is just another name for spy that yeah. I probably uh, Tom Clancy invent. Sure. Or the Bond <laughs> films, one or the other. I don't know how we're making Bond references left and right. This is not a spy movie in the slightest. No, it's it's not at all. I just, I just, it, it, the analogy is just right there. Top secrecy, yeah, advanced yeah. technology. There's not a whole lot of military action films like sure. this. She hands him a piece of paper. He asks what it is. I think she says it's a PCI. Did you catch what she said there? It's an NDA. It's a non-disclosure agreement, but one from the government saying that, yeah, not only will we persecute you, you'll end up in jail for the rest of your life if you share these secrets, blah, blah, blah. We actually are going to watch the footage of Sergeant Davis, the guy from the beginning. We find out essentially what happened to the hu- the victims. It's like their skin gets flash frozen. Yeah. No, their organs. I'm sorry. Their organs are flash frozen, but their skin becomes burned. Uh, this has happened more than once is what we've determined. The locals, because I guess they've questioned the local populace, think it's a myth of legend about people stuck between life and death. They ask him for a working theory. He's like, I don't have one. The CIA is like, it's got to be some kind of active camouflage. Klein's like, there's no way. We don't even have active camouflage. And she's like, well, maybe they do. He's like, in order for us to find out, I have a a special camera. Like, I guess the original, I don't want to say the original, but like, if you scale the technology down, I guess it's not as effective. It's not as detailed. The goggles, you're just trying to see what's near me. Sure. For them to use in the field or for them to gather intelligence with. But he's got a big mounted camera. Mm -hmm. You're going to get more detail, right? It's it's like taking a picture with your phone and then taking a picture with, with an actual Nikon with lenses and whatnot. Big old telephonic lenses yeah exactly telephoto. exactly he's like well i gotta use it because i can't tell someone how to do it as fast yeah i'm the only one who can do this Ooh, never heard that before and they're like okay yeah. cool the general goes for it like i thought there would be that cliche back and forth but you don't understand i'm so you know nope the general's like you're you're obviously the best man for the job this is incredibly important let's let's do this yeah i was happy with the way that scene unfolded general orland i like him i like yeah. his character yeah me too He's my favorite general in any movie or movie with a general in it. How often is the general the uh, overbearing, warmongering, antagonistical individual? And then this time, yeah, yeah, he's reasonable. Very reasonable. He gives a great speech later, but we'll talk about that. Oh, yeah. He starts to add the camera to the Delta vehicle. That's what they call it. Yeah. He gets hit up by the team and they're like, you know, you just took off a 50 caliber machine gun to put that camera on there. I'd be concerned as well. (laughs) They're like, these trucks got us through combat and you're making it less of a combat vehicle. And he's like, hey, look, I'm just here to help. I'm here to do the mission. The captain shows up. His name is Captain Cabrera. He reveals to the squad that this is the guy that helped design these vehicles, that he's designed a lot of the tech, their lightweight Kevlar armor, the goggles. You know, he's on our side. You shouldn't give him so much guff. Yeah. He's trying to help us. Captain comes in, advocates for him. They've worked together before, apparently. Yeah, like the uh, the annoying scientist, Daniel Jackson from mm. Stargate SG-1. Apt. You know, just always conflicting with the military interests when this guy's like, no, I'm just, I'm, I want to help. He might be conflicted about building weapons, but at the same time, he kind of going back to his original argument or the argument he was having with his boss, he built the goggles to help protect the soldiers. He built that yeah. armor. He helped with their equipment. So if something's out there that can kill them, and he's they're not the only one, but the best qualified to figure out that, what that is, he's all in. 
I played a trope, just like they did five minutes ago with with the general. They started to play a trope. Captain walks in, corrects everybody, and from there on out, it, it's good. Yeah. There's no animosity. Not really. People get aggravated with the situation, but never at other people. The team works very, very well. There is some animosity, uh-huh. and it's coming from major sessions. Oh, yeah. It's short-lived. He shows up. This dude's jaw. Like, oh, yeah. Dang. Dude, his voice, man. <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm like, jealous of this 100%, man's jaw. 100%. 100%. He and Davis were like brothers, and Klein just, he's like, I get it. That's all. He's just like, I get it. The major's mad at him because they think the equipment malfunctioned, and that's what got Davis killed. That maybe it didn't catch the sight of a of a person that he could have stopped. Right. They're sitting on a roof getting ready for the mission, I guess, the next morning. I have a question for you about this mission. Oh, me too. What is the time at which this mission took place? I did. Oh, 500. Oh, uh, 700. Ten hundred. Seven. I have no answer, but I also think it took place at oh, 700 hours. Because they spend all day on this mission. The movie only takes place, I think, over like a three-day period. At most, yeah. And I think it flows very well. Like The first day is intro to the, the movie. So let's place the characters on the board. The second third and the third third, I think, flow very well. While they're waiting for this mission to start, the captain is giving them some guff about the CIA agent. He's like, well, you know, it must be serious if they had both of you here. DC's got to be real stressed. When they're sitting there drinking Klein and the captain, and they're looking down at the CIA lady, making a phone call on like a sat phone or what have you, uh, the captain asks him what he thought the things were. She thinks that they're active camo, and they're enemy soldiers or what have you. Klein answers that he thinks it's something they haven't seen yet. At that point, when you're watching the movie, what did you think they were? What was your money on? Oh. At that point. They haven't done anything. We've just seen a few video clips of them. To be honest, I thought they were some kind of ghosts. Yeah, you thought it was going to go supernatural, huh? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I thought they were going to be like, these are because the former remnants, the military uh, remnants of the uh, previous regime. I, I think we might have skipped over this. They've dumped a lot of money into research and development of weapons. In my head, I was like, well, maybe they figured out a way to reanimate the human body in a spectral form. Because the name spectral, I think, is very, in nature, is very supernatural. Yeah, it's like a supernatural image or vision of some sort. They just talk about it. They say, they call them like Aratari. Yeah. That's what I thought. I honestly did. The way it turned out, I I liked just as much. Yeah. What did you think? The one thing I knew is that they weren't enemy soldiers in active camo because there's no way they would be right first thing in the beginning of the movie, right? Okay. I thought the same thing at the beginning as they did. And as soon as they said it, I was like, oh, it's not that. There's no way. Yeah. That's just not how storytelling works. (laughs) I was 50-50. I didn't know if they were going to go the ghost route. Or I thought maybe aliens of some sort. I considered aliens. I've seen a lot of Star Trek or Doctor Who where the aliens are kind of in our reality, kind of not. And maybe they mean to harm us, maybe they don't. So I was kind of expecting some sort of twist like that. And of course, as as the movie got more and more action, as it's about to as we continue, I, that kind of abandoned that. At least the, the the idea that they weren't killing intentionally or what have you. Gotcha. I liked that it wasn't anything that I thought it was. I was really going back and forth the whole time. Are these ghosts? Are these not? What the heck is going yeah. on? No, like I said, this movie flows real well. Yeah, it does. Very well. It manages to tell a story convincingly in a relatively short amount of time. One hour, 34 minutes, and 18 seconds. I think if you're going to sit down and you want to watch a sci-fi action movie, I think this one's worth the nine, 90 minutes, 93 minutes. I I want to say that I love that you bring up the runtime of all these movies. We now call them hyperspectral anomalies. That is their official government term. 
Agent Madison thinks it's cloaking technology. I don't necessarily remember if she says that they need to like bring back. Does she say that? Yeah. I didn't catch it if she did. She's like, bring back it as intact as you possibly can or what have you. Okay. Because we want it. Dr. Klein, he plays the rookie card just ah, so early. <laughs> and he's like, that's not what I think that they... And she's, Agent Madison's like, do you have anything to add? Because he doesn't have a theory. Like, he doesn't know what it is. Right. And isn't he also under that super NDA as well? She's just like, called on him out. Are you supposed to sit there and be quiet? So they load up into their trucks. Big trucks. Yeah, the Delta vehicles. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who it was. I don't remember the actor or the character, but he says uh, they really need to repave these roads. Obviously, Delta Force has not been on Bell Street. <laughs> oh, that is a joke that only, <laughs> oh, only a but, few hundred thousand people will get. No, no, no. Everyone will understand because in every town, in every city, there is a road that just never gets fixed. Everyone has a Bell Street. It's just not called Bell Street. That's actually very fair. I like the uh, vehicle sequences, like when they're driving around. Yeah. I mean, we talked about the length, but this movie needed every minute because it packs a lot of stuff. We get really cool montage sequences that don't go on for too long that, you know, kind of get us to point A to point B. I don't need to watch how long it took them to get from the base to the operating zone. But the sequence was like, oh, cool. This is rad. This made this possibly boring thing be really fun and interesting. I really liked it. This movie's well shot. By the it way, is very well shot. I got to call out the cinematographer, I guess. We arrive at our destination. I think they said it was an abandoned hotel in Utah team is on the top floor or what they believe is left of Utah team. Yes. They pop into the building. The way they're moving, like formation, like they're all stacked upon each other. I wish someone who had actually been in combat could tell me if that was real or not. It looked good. It was at least well choreographed. Yeah. I got a very Rainbow Six Vegas vibe from some yeah. action sequences in, yeah. in the beginning of this movie. I can see that. Because when they're just running from room to room, clearing a building. Breaching clear. Yeah. Smoking very Rainbow clear. team. We find uh, more bodies that match the description of the victims of the hyperspectral anomalies. I think I wrote it every single time that I needed to, to talk about them. I'll probably just end up calling them anomalies. Klein sees something on one of their feeds and he's like, whoa, 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 go back to that tub. And there's a, a bathtub on the ground. Overturned tub. Yeah, overturned. They see some kind of movement. They flip it over. It's Comstock. He was a member of Utah team. He's like, it got under their skin like a frozen blanket. The second team finds the bodies of the uh, insurgents in Utah team. A guy named Mac sees some movement. He shoots at it. The bullets go right through whatever he's shooting at, the anomaly. And then it passes through him and kills him. Starts taking out more and more of Delta Force. I think they're called Dagger. Team Dagger. 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 Dagger One. Dagger Two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a cool. What's your squad name? Dagger. No, no, no. For real. Like, what's your like when you have a chance to name a squad? What's your squad name? Why do you think I've ever had a chance to name a squad? No, no, like when you're... Like in what? What game do you get to name like your Like an XCOM. Squad? An XCOM. An XCOM. Like you oh. want to be like, this is... <laughs> you're going to hate me so much when I tell you that it's Squad A. <laughs> and then Fair I enough. sometimes Ooh. make a Squad B. But let me tell you about Squad B. It only makes Squad B after Squad A gets wiped. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm Ranger Squad. That's my squad name. I'm not that creative. I'm so sorry. Just disappointed. Cool, uh, it's fine. Way to just call me out. I feel attacked. <laughs> Personally attacked. Well, yeah. How else can I feel attacked? Except for on uh, my person. F- physically. Emotionally. 
psychically. It's I can psychically personal. attack you. You can't actually. <laughs> I mean, if I could, then I could. Anyways, Klein's like, we got to go. Everyone needs to get out so we can draw the uh, anomaly out of the building so he can get a shot with the camera. More people get taken out. We kind of get to see this thing in action. It moves very quickly and it can pass through solid objects and human beings. They manage to grab Comstock. They actually repel him out of the building. The Sting takes out more of Dagger Team. Klein can't get the camera to work fast enough with the laptop. So he hops out of the top of this armored vehicle and he engages the manual sequence, which is get out, hold on to the stem, and then flip up a screen. I guess that's what his yeah. manual mode is. Yeah. He doesn't like punch a, a key sequence and like a, a thing opens up. He just flips the screen, which is cool. It doesn't I mean, have to be complicated. It was mounted as a secondary. I mean, typically it's probably not mounted yeah. on an armored so, vehicle. Yeah. I meant that as a compliment. Oh, okay. He didn't have to do some long, complicated sequence during the action scene to like get this camera to work. He's, he wasn't like, hold on, hold on. Ah! He gets out and he immediately makes it manual. It's cool. The anomaly pops out of the, the hotel doors and it looks directly at the armored vehicle and Cabrera, Klein's buddy, Runs out with a, what is this, a bazooka? Is a little bazooka, yeah. He shoots directly at the anomaly. We get a really good shot of this thing. It looks like a like a ghost. Straight up. You're just like, oh, God, it's ghost. The bazooka shot does nothing, and it charges Cabrera, uh, and it kills him. They are now in the vehicles, and they're driving away. They evac. Yep. Comstock uh, mentioned specifically, he was like, I was in a room with it for hours, and he could feel that it was in the room, which definitely reinforces the supernatural elements and then it does there is an explosion they hit landmines yeah the vehicles get tossed up into the air everyone gets knocked around comstock unfortunately dies they hop out of the vehicles we get a really cool scene where like sessions is he's talking to control i guess is what you called them they're like your transponders aren't working and he says of course our transponders aren't working the trucks got blown up Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was great yeah it was fantastic i'm sure that happens you mentioned Gears of War earlier. It was very... I could see Marcus saying that. Yeah. Dom. The movie plays like a game. We have a nice little intro. He flies in. I mean, you could probably sum up the first bit before they start actually driving in and, uh, and some exposition if it was a video game. And then they're clearing this building. Then they're escaping. And then there's landmines. And it's just action, action, action. But everything slowly escalates yep. to, a, to a nice conclusion. Klein manages to pull the camera off the vehicle. They make it to some kind of industrial complex and they bunker down. Klein sees that Agent Madison is uh, bleeding and she's in some kind of shock. Turns out she hit her head during the the, uh, landmine incident. Everyone's figuring out slowly that these weren't insurgents with active camouflage. 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 With active camouflage. One of the guys says, I saw Tolhir put 250 rounds in it and it didn't stop it. Everyone's like, Klein, what did you see? And he said it was, it had human form and it was conscious. Yeah, That's they all looked at him, they reacted. Yeah. They're getting ready to roll, and they're like, well, we can't use our goggles anymore because they're out of juice or they've been trashed. Klein's like, well, we can use the camera from an elevated position and get a better vantage point. And they see some of the uh, anomalies trying to get into the building, but they can't get past some kind of, like it's a different colored ground. Right. It's like a different type of gravel from the vantage it's point like we have right now. like sandish. Yeah. Yeah. And then one of the guys just conveniently fell in it conveniently right at the moment in which we needed to know what it was we found out immediately well we actually saw him slip on it yeah sure 
they're running into the building, he slips, the two people around him stop and like grab and pick him up. It's yeah. got to be difficult to stand up with all that gear on. There's a lot of people falling down in this movie. Well, yeah, they're getting shot at a lot. Just during some of the sequences, like people fall. It's just a thing. I wasn't insulting their ability to stand on their feet. Chill, bro. This gravel or sand is actually iron filings. Someone had to have put this barrier of the yeah. iron filings because that's not natural. Someone had to have done it. Yeah. You mean iron filings don't naturally show up in an industrial park? I mean, in a straight line piled up? Okay, okay. Yeah. Apparently it's around the entire building. I'll it's take like a, your word for it. It's like a little sand fence. They start to sweep the building. They hear some noise. I couldn't really tell if it was music or people's voices. Yeah, it sounded like It's just voices. hard to discern. They approach a door with a light coming out of it, and then you hear the all-too-familiar sound of an AK-47 shooting out the glass. No one gets hurt or injured. They breach and clear, and apparently it's uh, some kids. Madison, Agent Madison, just happens to speak the language. Well, I mean, that makes sense. You say it just happens, but yeah. if you're a CIA yeah. agent going to a foreign country for a sure. certain period of time, it's probably preferable to say the language. She just happened to know. Yeah. Uh, an American agent just happened to know. Sure, sure. There isn't anyone else in the building. The comms officer from Dagger 2, who's one of the few members of Dagger 2 to survive, just happens to find a, uh, a comm tower at the top of the building. This communications officer tells Sessions, he's like, you know, I can try to hit headquarters, but if I use it, everyone will know. They'll be able to intercept our transmissions and Sessions is like, do it. Yep. So Your voice sounds not nearly as cool as his. Oh, no, of course not. Well, I'm not nearly as gruff as him, so. Manly? Is that the word you're looking for? Manly? I mean, uh, no, that's toxic. <laughs> Klein's like, who put the iron filings around the building? <sighs> yeah. And then uh, the kids are like, well, it was our dad. And he's like, well, I need you to take me to your dad. And while this is happening, Toll, the former Riggs actor, yeah, he is play fighting with um, the little boy. And he like knocks him over. And the little kid stands up and pretends to act like one of the anomalies. Yeah. <laughs> and he passes through him and then Toll doesn't die. And he doesn't understand. He's like, why aren't you dying, man? Come on. I did the thing. She takes them to her father, who's dead. We find out more about the Aratari. I mean, we knew her dad was dead as soon as we saw the kids. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. We find out more about the Aratari. The little boy tells us Bogdan. Uh, they are souls that are trapped between life and death. And they mentioned this at the beginning. And so it kind of like, it definitely reinforces the your notion so far. He's like, how did your dad know that the iron would stop the Aratari? And she's like, he used to work at a place with ceramics. And he made containers. And uh, he reaches into her, her father's corpse's jacket pocket. And pulls out, it's an image that just has the word Marasov on it. We find out that Marasov is a, it's some kind of dam, right? So right. it makes like hydro, hydroelectricity, but it yeah. also just happens to be a, a research and development facility for high-tech yeah. weapons. It's like putting a, a base underneath Cheyenne Mountain. No one would ever do that. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so they manage to get a hold of base. Base is going to send helos to rescue them at a plaza. I think they say half a mile from their location. They got to go on foot because the helos can't land because all the power lines and stuff. And he's like, well, we got to get there. There's no way we can fight these things. And Klein's just looking around and he, I guess, finally, someone notices the giant piles of iron filings. Did you notice it before <laughs> just, this? Uh, no. Oh, okay. All right. Well, did you? No, just the way you said it. I thought, oh, what, did I miss something? Was Chris no, more observant like, than me? No, he just like looking around and he goes, huh, iron filings. 
Wait a minute. Hey, we could weaponize these things because they don't like iron filings. We get an awesome montage of um, him turning the camera into a spotlight that can, instead of recording the image, project whatever yeah. uh, light. Can you do that? Can you just turn your camera into a spotlight? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is a very specialized camera, so maybe. I don't know. Sure. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> We're now in the fiction part of science fiction. Let's move along. The rest of the team starts making bombs out of these iron filings. They uh, dismantle their grenades, pour iron filings into like glass containers, put the uh, explosives in the container. They seal it up. Klein gets on the horn with control and he teaches the people how to reprogram the cameras that are back at the base to do what he's doing. Cool. Rad. They leave the next morning as we find out. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. You're skipping. Yeah, no, sorry. So they finish, you know, making these weapons. And then the next morning, they're getting ready to roll. And one of the guys just happens to see movement across the alley. They shine the camera over there, the spotlight. And uh, the spectrals are on the, like, the higher floors of the buildings around. And they jump onto the power lines over the iron filing. So they've now found a way to breach this facility. Can I ask why they didn't just jump over the iron filings? I don't know. <laughs> They've discovered they can jump. They've decided to do it from the highest vantage point possible. I don't know. It looked cool. Well, so part of me was like, well, that's not smart. But I just kind of I hand waved it as being the movie trying to look cool. But there's a distinct possibility that they didn't think of jumping over the iron filings. What this movie allows us to do is when we're getting from the beginning to the end is these anomalies have their own arc. You know what I mean? Like, okay. When you're watching Independence Day at the beginning of the movie, the aliens show up and blow up the Empire State Building. Yeah. Amongst other things. Yes. The aliens are, they're just murderous conquerors, right? Yeah. But what we come to find out about this movie is, I mean, it's, it's different. We'll, we'll talk about it, but I took it as these anomalies were learning about their abilities. Huh. Okay. You know? Yeah. Because at first all they do is move around and pass through people. And then one of them does it to a lot of people. And then it it finds out that it can survive a bazooka shot. So it realizes that it's tougher than it is. And so as it just learns more about it, what it can do. That's what I took it as. Hmm. Not necessarily evolving, but learning. Sure. They're going through the tutorial mission. (laughs) Yeah. Calm down. Sure. No, no, no. You're good. Anyways, they start moving out. They're like, we got to leave now. The girl's like, oh, I know a shortcut. So they take her path and um, they actually start using the grenades out of there. Is that an M302? Is that what that's called? It's an under, underslung grenade. I have no idea. Yeah, the the noob tube, as people on Call of Duty would probably call it. It essentially is an, yeah, an underslung grenade launcher on an automatic weapon. They actually kind of hold them back. They're effective. They don't kill them. They can use it as like an area of denial. Yeah. Weapon. Slows them down. But we get a, a lot more uh, shots of people falling. This happened like three or four times during the sequence, like someone falls on the ground. It's a really good sequence. It's real intense. Like he jumps on a car and like slides, turns around and fires the, the grenade launcher all in one mm-hmm. motion. It's awesome. I thought it was cool. Yeah, it was real cool. They arrive at the extraction point, but rescue's not there. So they all pile into a, uh, what looks like a city bus. Like if you've ever seen the movie Speed, that a city bus, that's yeah. what they they. All yeah. pile into a city bus. Yeah. Not everyone's been to the city and seen a city bus. Calm down. Well, yeah. Uh, the light starts having some problems. It's not staying on. 
it looks like it's shorting out. Yeah. He pulls. He desperately trying to repair it because it's their only chance of seeing these things. I assume the battery was just running out. So when he started re- yeah. repairing it, I was like, "How? How do you repair a battery? This thing can't yeah. stay on for this long. This is crazy." <laughs> they like hear movement. They kind of figure that you know the 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 anomalies are starting to surround them. Tanks show up with one of these gigantic uh, spotlights on it. M1 Abrams, and it's got these huge. But what we find out to be batteries on the back that powers this massive spotlight. Yeah. They turn it on and we catch all of these anomalies. I think there's like 20 of them or something. Maybe maybe like 10. Maybe like 10 to 15. And the tanks open fire and it doesn't hurt the anomalies at all. We think it does. Yeah, but then they come out from the... Yeah. They like jump down. Yeah. I say we think it does. The people in the movie <laughs> think it does. We've done, done this dance before. So... The group starts running towards the uh, tanks. They're trying to get towards uh, safety. But these spectrals overwhelm, like it's their position, and it kind of separates the group. One guy, one of these anomalies just goes Super Saiyan, and he can't pass through, like he can't pass through the tank, but he can impact it very heavily. Oh, yeah. And he just beats this tank to crap, attacking it with his shoulder, his hands, like he's just beating it up, inflicting massive damage on this tank. The Hilo lands. And Klein notices that they the anomalies are struggling against the powerful rotor blades from the helicopter, from this Blackhawk. He's standing there and he has like a bandolier of grenades. Yeah, they're just, when you say grenades, they're really just mason jars full of Yeah, uh, but they've got shavings. explosives. Yeah. Improvised explosive devices. He's got a bunch of IEDs on his chest. <laughs> Safe. He pulls them, to, like he rips it off and he slams and breaks all the glass jars or containers. I don't know if they're a jar or not. I'm pretty sure they're glass like beakers? No, they during that montage of the making stuff, it looked like just different sizes of mason jars. Yeah. So yeah. who knows? And these filings, these iron filings slam into the uh, anomalies. He can tell that it's causing them, I don't want to say harm, but it's like causing them great... Uh, Distress. Uh, yeah. It, they're like struggling. Like they kind of have like pains look on their faces almost. And he gets on the helicopter and they take off. Yeah, that's what a helicopter sounds like, everybody. We actually, unfortunately, get the death of Bogdan in this scene. I The little boy, yeah. Yes. Bogdan was looking for his ceramic tile medallion from his father. He actually manages to pick it up, and when everyone notices that he's over there by himself, uh, Anomaly kills him, passes right through him, dies. They grab the ceramic tile. You know, they say their goodbyes. They can't do anything about it. Then they get on the helicopter and they take off. So that happens. I don't know if this was a successful rescue mission uh, yeah <laughs> i mean how many people died to save these 10 people like well they were trying to yell at them not to go over there they were like <laughs> no you should leave so i mean sure i don't know uh, i just don't know if it was a successful rescue mission i guess it's all a matter of perspective they did get rescued yeah. <laughs> sessions is on the horn with uh general orland they're like you can't come back to base I'm sending you coordinates to my bunker. They get dropped off. Uh, it what appears to be a like it almost looks like a like a prison or like a like a fort. fort. Yeah, it's like an old kind. fort. Yeah, from like yeah. the, the you know, 60s or 70s. Yeah, middle late 20th century. They're walking towards like what appear to be some doors, and then some foreign soldiers stand up and point guns at them. Fran and Madison talk them down, and they they're allowed to come inside. They uh, split up. All the soldiers go find supplies. Klein discovers that Fran has shrapnel in her shoulder. 
So they take her to a medic. He keeps asking her about the Aritari. He's like, what's going on? This is where we find out that her father made containers for a power plant where the Aritari first appeared. The murders started at Marasov in that area. It's like reinforced that it was ceramic. The general shows up. He describes about the base being overrun. He just started authorizing supply missions. He's like, get everything off of this base that's of value that we can get to like the next people. Apparently there were 240 soldiers, but now there's only 19. This is where I think we uh, we find out about General Orland. Like he's a really good commander. What did you think? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I was very very impressed. I think as a uh, a man who has played characters with positions of power. Yeah. When he's Admiral Pike in uh, what's the second one? Into Darkness. Into Darkness. Thank you. Yeah, with Star Trek Into Darkness. You really get the sense that Bruce, I guess, can portray someone who is in command and has to deal with his like successes and his failures. He's in shock because he, you know... They lost a lot of dudes. 21 people died mm-hmm. in order for him to get out. Like, men died under his command. Like, it, it affects him. And I think Bruce can play... He can play that really well because we see it in, a, in other stuff. Great actor. Yeah, I like Bruce. He's like, there's no plan. I, I have no idea what to do. We need to regroup. There's a big debate. Like people are like, we need to leave. And the general's like, I've got maybe five hours of operational fuel in the helicopters. Five, I think he said 20 minutes. Oh, did he say 20 minutes? I'm sorry. Okay. I thought it was. Yeah, five hours. He could have just got out. Yeah. 20 minutes. They were like, eh, we can't get everybody on the helicopters. That's not far enough away. Klein, he's like, I know what they are. He like figures it out while he's sitting there and eventually gets everyone's attention. And then he does this really cool sequence where he's like, it's a ma- he's like, it's man-made. They can't pass through ceramic or iron or iron. And is it, he believes it's what's called a Bose-Einstein condensate. Yeah. And when this happened, I like I paused the movies and Googled Bose-Einstein condensate. What did you think? Did you find the Ars Technica article about this movie? No. No. So if you watch this movie, it's, it's pretty interesting. There's an article on the science of spectral. Is this really how Bose-Einstein condensate behaves? Put the link out there somewhere, social media. Okay. But it's a scientist who's actually worked on condensate for like the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years or something along those lines. And the article actually gets a response from the director of Spectral, where he talks about what they did that was obviously not true to science, why they did it that way, how they were inspired. Uh, it's a very, very good read. I, I don't want to get into cool. it because I think you should go read it yourself. And you being everyone but Chris, Chris doesn't know how to read. Rude. Well, the truth hurts, and we can. It is. It's. It's a. It's an interesting read if you're interested at all in, in the science behind science fiction. Uh, it's pretty good. The fact that I got a response from the director, who also who also helped come up with the story, is uh, it's pretty cool. Unexpected. Yeah, I can't wait to read that. I didn't know that there was a a science behind the movie. I always like it when oh, yeah. when that happens. Because there's, there's lots of times when people, you know, they review movies, like especially when there's any sort of questionable science or history, and you don't always get a response from the creators that's positive. Yeah. Sometimes you get a negative response from the, the creators, so it's interesting that... The, my favorite? Oh, it's just a movie. Ugh. Yeah. But he actually... The, the re- <laughs> obviously, because you can probably guess with me, I've never heard of a Bose-Einstein condensate, whatever... But you could probably guess that they're not using it 100% correctly, especially <laughs> with some of the stuff that's coming up. On the Wikipedia article for a Bose-Eisenstein condensate. Eisenstein, yeah. Einstein, sorry. A Bose-Einstein condensate. I think you had it right the first it time. It says, it is a state of matter which is typically formed when a 
gas of bosons at low densities is cooled to temperatures very close to absolute zero. So, I mean, it says it in the first sentence. Mm -hmm. It's accurate in the way that when it affects people, when you are exposed to freezing cold, you get the sensation of burning, right? Right. So, I mean, I don't know if your skin would actually burn, but it would make sense that if something is cooled to the t to absolute zero and it passed through you, it would flash freeze your organs. So, um, sure. again, I'm not a scientist, <laughs> but I think they did pretty well. I can't wait to read that article. Yeah, so. yeah check it out. Yeah. I mean, we should just stop the podcast and read it right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Dr. Klein decides that he can come up with weapons that can actually affect the spectral anomalies. Essentially, he's going to be making plasma discharge weapons, which that's just a laser, right? Uh, Technically. I'm, you know, I don't, I've already think we've both said we're not scientists. Maybe, maybe it's a type of, but I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I've played almost every Fallout game that exists and plasma weapons and laser weapons are usually two different things. Right. Well, a laser is a light, right? Like it's a right. plasma. I don't know. I don't know, man. Well, I think to a layman, if, if you just showed them the scene coming up, they would be like, oh, those laser rifles are awesome. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. They're going to go to Marasov and they're going to, you know, they're going to take care of business. I guess that the idea is that whatever came from Marasov, that's how they can stop them. It's an interesting concept. They are just assuming that, you know, whatever's created or powered these anomalies. Yeah. I mean, it's... Well, I think it's this where they came from, so there might be more there. Right. Whoever's sending them out, right? They don't know... Yeah, I mean... Is this deliberate? Is it not? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're just... It's a big... I don't want to say it's a reach, but it's the only plan they have. Like, yeah. because they can't fight these things. If it overran an entire military base, when they arrived at this bunker, they saw some... I don't even know if they were rebels, but they saw some enemy soldiers, and... They also appear to be... I think they were they were supposed to be the local, not yeah. the insurgents, but local military that had been allied with them. Who knows if the insurgents are actually still in charge of this. So, right, um, right. I don't know. It just... It just <laughs> they were doing it. I was like, ah, I guess it's a plan. Yeah, it fit. I mean, the whole idea, whether it's foolhardy or not, the whole idea is that we go and we kill their base of operations and that either kills them or slows them down. It's a plan. It is. It's not much of a plan, but it's a plan. Yeah, exactly, yeah. We get an, a really great montage of them running out, grabbing all the gear that they can from these huge crates that were dropped by the helichoppers. <laughs> he's, right. he's making weapons. Like he's, I guess, essentially recreating the device from the beginning of the movie, but in a mobile form. Because if we remember right, what they used that original plasma discharge device for was melting water. Right. It was like heating up the inside of it, which obviously these things yeah. are super cold. There you go. Um, hopefully it'll dissipate the matter. They never actually test it inside the building, which I thought was really... Maybe that's a cut scene or something, but at no point do they actually test these things out before they drop into the combat zone. So I guess we don't see that, do we? No. Hmm. They come up with a plan. They're going to cause a distraction. Dagger 1 and what's left of Dagger... Well, I guess what's left of Dagger 1 and 2 and any soldiers that General Orlin brought with him, they're going to attack... Uh, cause a distraction on the outside of the uh, structure because uh, I, I have here that's a dam slash power plant but i'm just not going to call it that anymore well it's like a geo geothermal geothermal no hydro hydroelectric yeah yeah i've built hydroelectric power plants before in many 
mini strategy video games. And so I knew exactly what this was by just looking at sure. it. Yeah. I'm more or less an expert. <laughs> Not a scientist, but an expert. Oh, absolutely. Unqualified expert. <laughs> <laughs> Someone says, like, any last words? No one says anything. Well, it's like he's asking, like, anybody have any objections to the plan, right? And everyone's just right. like, shuts up. Well, yeah, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. no one says anything because what can you say? <laughs> like, right. Guys, mm, I don't believe this plan will be successful. Uh, neither does anyone else, but they're doing it anyways. That's the whole point. <laughs> the general gives a great speech about how they're going to change the future and they're the last line of defense. Yep. Where do you have this ranked on your war movie speeches? Oh, I don't have a rank for that. It's pretty good. His lines are well-written and his delivery is fantastic. I mean, I'm not going to rank it against anything else. Cause, I mean, because when you talk about talking about war movies, I would definitely rank science fiction and fake war movies separately than, than war movies that are about actual events and things like that, right? Is it better than Bill Pullman's Independence Day speech? I mean, nothing is better <laughs> than the Independence Day speech. <laughs> How dare you? Of course not. And you ask ridiculous questions. They've done that thing where suddenly the whole world is at stake, right? They went from small stakes. Something is happening in this area of operations or this, this war zone, I guess. Uh, we've got to go save these four soldiers. Uh, from Utah team, blah, 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 to now these things could overrun the world and kill everyone. Yeah. So they, they've done that, and they've done it fairly well with the escalation. I don't, know, I don't know how you felt about that. It's the typical, especially in sci-fi movies, it always ends up being some world-ending event that's about to happen that they're going to go stop, and they're the very last line of defense. Right. And well, when in reality, if they just took what they knew, got out, contacted command, they could manufacture those weapons at a much larger level. Um, and as we're about to find out, there are a limited number of these things. <laughs> so it, I don't know. Do you think it was cheesy that they went with the, uh, this is the, the last stance for the entire earth? Well, they don't have any way of contacting. Right. Because they're being, they're being jammed, else. but not if right. they get on a helicopter that flies at a few hundred miles an hour and go 20 minutes that way. Right. Um, eh. I didn't have a problem with it. It's, to touch on what you were talking about, how we go from zero to sixty, yeah, really zero fast. Hundred, yeah. We talked about it earlier that this movie flows well, it does. and I think it gets this particular moment gets caught in that flow, and it does stick out a little bit. I will agree, yeah. But I think it worked. Like that's the kitsch, right? Mm -hmm. That's what makes sci-fi movies sci-fi movies. Is it's not only about the future and what how science like impacts us, but also how it can be used to destroy. It's a common theme, and yeah. especially near future science fiction movies is that's what I mean. That's what a lot of people fear is we're moving too fast. The former remnants of a military dictatorship mm -hmm. invested millions of dollars into weapons research, and this is what they came up with. I think it it flows along the themes of regular sci-fi movies, sure. but uh, I didn't have a problem with it. Okay, I didn't have a huge problem with it either. It's just a, kind of a it's a little bit of a trope. I think they did a pretty good job of showing just how lethal these entities are leading up to this. Oh yeah. So I think it's I think it's a yeah, plausible I, jump. Nonetheless, it's still a trope whether or not it was done well, well uh, you know. I have questions. <laughs> here in a, we're going to talk okay. about it here in a few right. minutes. They load up on the Ospreys. Everyone's ospreys. kitted out. Yeah. Huh? Nothing. Keep going. They're called Ospreys, right? That's what those it, are. Uh, osprey. It's spelled O S P R E Y. Right, named after the bird, right? I yeah, know. I think it's just osprey. Osprey. I don't know. I don't know. Um, well, I'll, you know what? I'm wrong. I'll be wrong this time. <laughs> you could be wrong next time. Bet. 
they're all kitted out. Like, this is a hard roll. They actually managed to put on, like, some special... I don't want to call it armor, but it looks like some suits. Yeah. That it, they're designed to, I guess, withstand the heat. He talks about the guns are going to be super hot. And then they start yeah. getting on these, these suits. We arrive at Marasov. Sessions is the first guy out. Of course. He lands with the biggest gun. <laughs> yeah, he does. Hell yeah. It's massive. <laughs> and then when they say they land, I mean, they're, yeah, they're repelling down. Yes. Yes, they keep they, then they drop a big drone kind of robot. You know, Boston Dynamics is freaking out when they saw this. <laughs> they see one of the uh, the hyperspectral anomalies. Yeah. It charges at them. As one does. Well, right before this happens, they start loading what looks to be like a banana clip into like the side of this giant cannon. Mm-hmm. I realize that these were batteries of some kind. Yep. Anyways, they fire at this anomaly and it blows up for lack of a better term yeah that's how i would describe it the rest of the soldiers start dropping and the attacks begun they start out pretty well they're opening fire they're pressing forward then our intel team which consists of toll another person (laughs) who's been there the whole time but i just don't know his name yeah Yeah, another soldier they never they never say his name madison and klein they drop in on the top of the building there's a open (laughs) like an open door on the top of the 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 roof here so like all right they rappel in they get confronted by one of the hyperspectral anomalies, Toll and the other soldier. They can't manage to shoot it, so they split up. The distraction team isn't doing too well. I mean, I think they're getting their shots in, but these things move so fast, and uh, they're not able to hit them. They're usually hitting them where they were as opposed to where they are. I don't know if they taught these guys how to lead targets in boot camp. Well, I mean, it's not like they've ever fired those guns before, but sure, yeah. <laughs> and there's a difference between, like, a plasma discharge as opposed to a bullet i mean i don't know how slow the plasma discharges are so yeah klein and madison find a door it looks super heavy duty they get in she uses a spy gadget uh yeah yeah, open the door that was cool (laughs) you know agent madison that's a spy franchise just waiting sure it's a lab they find a whole bunch of condensate they find some x-rays there appears to be like a 3d printer that's printing one of these anomalies out with the condensate I actually thought it was really cool. Yeah, how it ended, how it ended up working out. They move to another room, and it's a giant storage room with more of these hyperspectral anomalies, like in the ceramic containers. And it appears that half of those containers were damaged in some kind of structural failure. Yeah, and that's how they escaped. So, what did you think of uh, how they were being made? What did you What did you originally think was going to happen, and how did you feel about what we found out? Uh. They weren't sure why they were they were shaped like humans and looked like people. Mm-hmm. I assume that they were, I don't know, harvesting is the right word, or converting people into these things in some way. That wasn't too far off. Yeah. But and I, I liked the, their approach way better. Like I thought it was I thought it was really well done. Cool effects. Obviously, we're getting more sci-fi, but it was still unclear whether or not they had intent. I think that's the only thing that I'm unsure of even now is whether or not these anomalies are 3D printed weapons. And obviously, they've turned on their masters, right? Mm-hmm. But why were they killing everybody else? Was it what is it intentional or not? I'm not sure. Um, intentional being like, did they have, did they have some sort of plan that they were planning on killing all these people, or was it just some sort of instinct? I mean, it's a good question. They never touch on it. Yeah. My original thought was they like maybe they're taking human bodies. Yeah. And they are dipping them into this condens. Like once we found out what he believes they're made out of, they were dipping them. And when the bodies enter it, like the condensate forms around them and just turns them into one of the anomalies. Uh, That's what I originally okay. thought. I didn't get into 
how they were doing it, but it's similar to what I was saying. Or maybe like a Captain America thing where they put you in a, mm. they put them in a ceramic container they were and super then they soldiers or charge it didn't work you. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I thought it was pretty neat. So we find out because we flash out to the distraction team and the condensate can reform if it's not totally destroyed because they see the condensate being reformed into like i wrote down here it looks like a spectral tornado yeah i mean essentially (laughs) well we catch a scene where they shoot the leg off of one of them and it appears to be a woman is struggling gets scared like you can see the fear and then it dissolves yeah and then later they think it's a turning point where dagger one and dagger two are like yeah we're winning and then all of a sudden you see that the condensate rise up from the ground yeah well we flash forward back to the lab yeah klein and madison find a scientist who's got a tool and a name tag they're on some panel and she can only translate some of the words apparently they ultimately determine that this guy was coming to shut the system down there was an accident in the lab and they were like you know we got to stop this and i don't know if he was if he was a scientist wanting to stop it because he thought it was wrong or he was a t- scientist trying to stop it because he was trying to save his own skin who knows well you know near death experience give you a little bit of perspective so who knows it could be both little column a little column yeah, b you know yeah. the spectrals because we are now back outside are starting to turn the tide against the distraction team there's too many of them and they're way too fast they're starting to get behind the soldiers they got divided up i didn't I don't even know, like... I think the soldiers push too far forward. Yeah. They're, they're kind of intermingled, if you will. Yeah, I don't know enough about military tactics or combat tactics in general, but I almost feel like they probably should have just chilled at the... <laughs> chilled, no pun intended. Ugh. I feel like they should have just hung out, like, Held where the they were at the beginning and just... Well, it's not a very convincing distraction if you don't actually attack. Right? I, I don't mean, know. But as far as we're aware, these things just have the feral sense of survivability. Far as, well, they, maybe, yeah. They see what appears to be a human being. They're going, they attack it. That's everything we've gotten in this movie so far. They do display intelligence, but they don't really display any form of like We don't know why like they're strategy. doing what Yeah. Well, we, yeah. they slowly do. If we go all the way back to when they leapt on the uh, power cables and, and light posts to attack Dagger Team in the warehouse or the factory. I mean, that, that was strategy, right? Yeah, no, I I agree that they show intelligence, like higher intelligence. They figured out that they could bypass the barrier, but I don't see them, like, one of them distracting a large group and then the other half ambushing them. I don't know. I, I kind of get, get what you're saying. I just... I don't I don't know enough. They're brute force, both sides, yeah. really, at this point. But also, I don't think there are military... I don't think we have a military guidebook on how to fight <laughs> ghost-like creatures. I don't so you know, can only man, see with, when your yeah. robot shines a light on them. Uh, sure. You know, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that... Eh, there's no plan. It's <laughs> just shoot that way. It's all desperation on both sides. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Well, we cut back to Klein and Madison in the storage room. They have figured out the shutdown procedure. Apparently that weird fork-looking tool that to me looked like a discarded prop from like a <laughs> Star Trek episode. You know what sure. I mean? It looked like something that a Ferengi would point at me. You mean like a weird whip? I don't uh, know, maybe. It wasn't, yeah. Apparently, there's these large conduits or cables. Giant cables, yeah. That are plugged into some kind of fuse thing. I don't know. But he's got to use that tool, insert into the top of it, and dislodge. Right. And he does it. Cells are breaking open. Madison's popping these anomalies as they come out of the cells. This is a very tense scene. Very. Like, I really, yeah. like, the whole time I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then we cut outside, interspersed in between the the scenes of 
the soldiers shooting and dying, Sessions has been grabbing the gear of his fallen comrades, and he's been like lining them up and charging the big gun. With all the little guns, yeah. He's got one last hurrah left. Well, I was talking about earlier, like the spectral condensate tornado, where all of these anomalies have essentially reformed into this swirling mass of condensate and dust, and he fires directly at it. In the process of doing that, it shoots him way back. Like, he flies oh, back, because yeah. I guess there's so much heat and force being created by this blast. We get a really, really interesting shot, I thought, of everyone about to be overrun. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be one of the soldiers out on top of the building. You could be Toll in the bowels, in the depths, or Madison and Klein about to be... They're, all of them are about to be killed. And then Klein rips the last vestiges of his fuse to disarm everything and he falls back into the water yeah pretty far drop we slowly see the condensate breaking apart and dissolving well and it appears the battle's been won well it also lost all, all momentum yeah they <laughs> I, I totally skipped over that yeah. part. yeah no they all just stop moving yeah i guess you could say it's because they're breaking the neural link that's controlling them and so it just stops them in their place mm -hmm. if they really cut it and there was absolutely no link you'd assume that the condensate would just fly forward, like whatever direction it was going. Um, and then, you mm -hmm. know, gravity and physics would go from there. Well, however physics <laughs> impacts. Yeah. <laughs> the fifth state of matter. Yeah, this, yeah. the fifth state of matter. <laughs> uh, how were the Bose, con the, hi the hyperspectral anomalies, how did they not fall through things? I don't know. <laughs> that is a question that has been asked and not answered a dozen times. Yeah. I think there's a whole... Uh, you and I are... Let's talk about another sci-fi franchise. You and I are a big fan of Stargate, right? Yeah. There's that scene in the episode where they're making a TV show <laughs> out of the whole idea of Stargate. Yeah, I mean, the best episode they ever made, yes. Yeah, uh, Wormhole Extreme, right? <laughs> and there's a guy, and he asks... Or no, it's, it's the girl who's supposed to be playing Dr. Carter's character, and, and she's like... So I can, I pass through another person, right? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, and I can move through the walls. They're like, yeah. And she's like, why don't I fall through the floor? And everyone just looks real confused and like, yeah, well, uh, we'll get back to you on that one. I think we never thought of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. you're right. So it's another one of those kind of givens. Sure. It's a continuity yeah. error. Yeah. <laughs> continuity error. <laughs> physics. Uh, uh, yeah. So Madison runs down to Klein. Make sure he's okay. Who miraculously did not crack his head open falling on the concrete. Yeah. There's a beeping. They need to find out where the beeping's from. It's kind of a siren. I don't know if it's a beep. Clacks eh, on. I don't know. Yeah, all right. They find a very... I wrote down here that it's a very scary-looking room where essentially there appear to be the nervous systems. The nervous systems. Um, and they find out that these people weren't just x-rayed. They ripped out, I guess, their nerves because <laughs> we get like a brain and kind of like but nervous system yeah if you're looking at like a an anatomy book and it shows it you, everyone's seen that picture of the muscles skeleton nervous system whatever essentially this is what they're using to control yeah the spectral anomalies and he pulls one of the power cables and we get we see it dissolve yeah whatever was keeping it up yeah, yeah. i don't know i don't want to say alive but and madison's like what are you doing you know, we got to look at the bigger picture. And he's like, I am looking at the bigger picture. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever this is, however it came to be, whatever the process is, it's 
essentially tortured however many people. Like, I mean, we're looking at the successes and there appear to be maybe 50 or 60 of these things, but how many people died along the way right. to get to this point? I don't disagree with Klein. Like, I think he did the right thing. I think a lot of people would think he did the right thing. I don't, not exactly sure what Madison's thinking, <laughs> but. Well, she's processing all of it, right? Yeah. You know, she quickly lets him do what he's doing. She's just trying to figure it all out. Yeah, I thought this was a great scene. It harkens back to the beginning of the movie where he's telling his boss, DARPA, like, I, I don't want to create weapons that hurt people. And he's like, you work for DARPA. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, this is why you were hired. I did have a question. This is where my big question comes from. This is where I think, in a small way, the movie kind of falls apart. Okay. So this the building that they're in has been completely abandoned by humans through death or dispersion, right? right. We catch a shot of a drip bag. Yeah. So I, I assume it's like some kind of saline pouch whatever or it some is, nutrient yeah. pouch or whatever. But what happens when that stops dripping? I assume that they died. Yeah. I'd also assume that on a normal person, that bag lasts, what, a day? I don't know. But, I mean, you're much less of a person, but eventually those things would have died out on their own. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And, like, when you talk about how, you know, this is the last line of defense and we got to do whatever we can to stop them, eh, it could have waited a couple days. Well, a lot more people would have died, I'm sure. Sure, sure, sure. What's the distance on how these things can be controlled, right? Like, how far away from this location... So, What's well, the I thing mean, is they, they didn't have they, answers to any of that, so they had to, yeah. you know, do their thing. That's my problem, and that, that's where I'm saying like it kind of falls apart because you know these things could overrun the rest of the world. Yeah, or maybe they can't travel more than fifty feet. Well, it's more than fifty feet, but yeah, like ten miles from this thing. Sure, I don't know. Sure. Anyways, so we get back to the base. There's a really cool shot of them hopping out of the helicopter. I guess reinforcements have arrived. New survey teams are actually going back to Marasov. They're going to try to tear it apart and re-engineer it. Figure out what the heck was re- going on. reverse engineer it. Yeah. yeah. And Klein like, just looks kind of disgusted. Uh, and I think he has every right to be disgusted. Yeah. I mean, this whole the whole idea of what this was, like, it, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there will ever be a spectral two where, you know, the United States military is, creates these condensate things and they turn on us, but... I don't know. Like it's kind of. Well, set I think it up you could also that. use it for different weapons, and sure. I, and I think most of the research around it in real world is not about using it as a weapon. But I mean, you could use a condensate weapon where it, it, you know, it, it just there's all sorts. Sure. Of, I'm sure there's other applications for it. Right. Yeah. We get a cool shot of Klein looking at uh, the remainder of Dagger One. They're kind of gearing up. Yeah. And then uh, Sergeant Toll, Major Sessions. Yeah, and, he, and someone says they don't know how to stop, do they? And I thought this was almost copied and pasted scene from Battle Los Angeles, <laughs> like where it shows yeah. the the Marines getting back from the front line, and they're like, "We already ate, sir." <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, even though the ending was straight up copied, I'm sure it's. I'm sure Battle Los Angeles was the first movie to do oh, that. No. So there's some decent similarities between those two movies. Yeah, no, I got a vibe. Yeah, no, yeah, that was the end of the movie. I thought it was a good ending. Because it, yeah. it wraps up the immediate threat, but it shows that human nature hasn't really changed. It's a nice little message there. I, one of the things I really appreciated about this movie from the beginning, well, not from the beginning, but from, uh, I guess, the beginning of Act 2, mm-hmm. is there is no romance. Yeah. I think like a lesser movie would show like maybe Madison and Klein have a past where, because right. like, that's what I thought what was going to happen when he's talking to Cabrera on the roof. Right. Um, when he's like, yeah, he's like, DC must be in the, must be in real trouble if they put both of you guys in here. And I thought we were going to have like a thing where they were married once, but it never happened. Yeah. 
and I appreciate that. Yes, appreciate yeah. that quite a bit. I, just, I don't like shoehorned romance, you know. Well, plus, I mean, who has time for romance in a in this, freaking like, in a war, war zone? zone yeah, exactly. So, man, what did you think? Did you... Oh, overall, overall, I liked this movie. I have no major qualms with it. As far as the story goes, I think it's good. I think that the the special effects are good. The acting is ranges from good enough to, to great, you know, depending on who we're talking to and whatnot, or who we're talking mm-hmm. about. The only thing from a movie standpoint that was a bit, and I don't know if you had this problem, so I don't have a real sound system. I just have my television. Sure. So the, the sound, in the, in the especially the beginning of the movie, uh, maybe I just got used to it, or maybe it got better. It seemed to be mixed a bit oddly. You know, the people's voices versus music, which is not, or sound effects, is not something I, I usually have an issue with on Netflix. So that, that mm. kind of caught me off guard. And it could be because it was originally filmed for theater and so it's just it's mixed for theater which did not translate to my my little two speaker system i gotcha there's that and then there is i don't did you catch the obvious dub overs there were some shots yeah where i did see where there were some dubs yeah even when you couldn't see their their lips you could tell that he said that at a different time Mm -hmm. not something i would expect to see out of a movie that otherwise has good production value no i agree so it's just some weird technical um issues with the sound but otherwise yeah, I'd recommend it. If you like sci-fi action movies and you don't need anything deeper, then yeah, it's a good popcorn flick. Yeah, I uh, I like the movie. I think it succeeded everywhere it needed to succeed. Like I said, there's some small issues I had with the story and at least the way it was told, but I mean, that's minor. It is very rare when I watch a movie like this where I have less problems than I do. Well, I have less problems than I normally would with a movie like this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I thought it was great. If that makes any sense, what I was trying to say. No, no but yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not like we were walking out of Cloverfield and I'm like, how did the big alien sneak up on them at the end of the movie and no one noticed? Uh, huh? uh, Can anyone answer me that question yeah. still? It's been 10 years. I'm just saying. Yeah, so that was spectral. Uh, do you want to talk about anything specifically? No, I don't have anything left. I did notice an actor in this movie and it took me several minutes until I figured out exactly who he was. But one of the characters, did you did you watch the Witcher television show that was on Netflix? I, I did. I did. One of the wizards, like the guy who befriends Yennefer at the uh, the college, his name is Royce Pierson. He was actually one of the soldiers in this movie. I don't even think they say his name. <laughs> but uh, Diaz. He is uh, Diaz. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That was, that was about it. I think that about does it. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be... Another episode of B-Roll. You know, feel free if you liked this episode. If you liked what you heard, maybe you found at least one of our jokes funny. Like and subscribe. Follow. You can hit us up on Twitter at B underscore Roll Podcast. You can also email us at SciFiWiseGuys at gmail.com. You know, send us your suggestions. Yeah. You know, maybe make some jokes of your own. Maybe we'll read them and then say we made them. Oh, yeah. Please give us your things for us to steal. (laughs) Perfect. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. We did our social media plug. Yeah, so. social media plug. Check. Generic. I've been... <laughs> we did say we were trying to make this as generic as possible. Uh, that has been sure, our goal sure. the whole time. It's not to stand out, but to blend in. That's how you yeah. survive. <laughs> Don't rock the boat. I am one of your hosts, Chris. And I'm the other host, Anthony. See you guys next time. Thanks, guys. Bye.
I hate you. Oh, I hate you so much. I hate you. I hate I everything hate you. you stand for. <laughs> oh, uh, if you're not with me, you're against me. <laughs> you were supposed to bring balance to this podcast. Uh, 